I'm Philip Atolli and welcome to RNZ's Insight Programme. And this week, children whose gender doesn't fit their body. How do we tell the school? What will their grandparents say? Will they be bullied for life? What would you do if your little boy or girl constantly told you they've been born in the wrong body? Insight talks to parents about the constant judgement they face, the worries and the practicalities of bringing up their transgender child in New Zealand. And just a note, some names in this programme have been changed to protect people's identity. Transgender. Agender. Androgynous. Genderqueer. Cisgender. Gender fluid. Gender binary. Whakawahine. Intersex. Tangata iritane. Non binary. Whafafine. Sissy. Tomboy. XX girl. XY boy. For some children growing up in New Zealand, the XX girl and XY boy description of gender doesn't fit. Figures on exactly how many transgender children there are in the country are scant. In Wellington, about half a dozen mothers are helping each other through the difficulties and practicalities of having a child whose body parts under their clothes don't match what the kids at school see in front of them. And a secret Facebook group hosts hundreds of New Zealand parents supporting and looking for support as they try to figure out if their child can ever live a happy life just being themselves. But the best guess of the number of transgender children can be gleaned from Auckland University research from 2012. As part of the wide-ranging Youth 2000 survey, 8,000 high school students from 91 schools gave health researchers an insight into what makes them tick. The students were asked whether they were a girl, who feels like she should have been a boy, or a boy who feels like he should have been a girl. 4% of those asked already thought of themselves as trans or were questioning their gender identity. About half of the transgender students had thought they may be transgender before they turned 12, but only a third had told someone close to them. While many children fear the consequences of revealing their gender identities to their parents, parents themselves live in fear of a grim future for their child. I've kind of found that it's about who will love my child, who will love my child this way, how will my child be in the world. It's about the real big picture um, because our fear of what this means to uh, be so different is a very scary concept. I'm Teresa Cowie and this insight finds out from parents, doctors, counsellors and a transgender child about some of the decisions and difficulties faced by New Zealand families with transgender children. So what exactly is a transgender child? The medical condition, used to describe someone whose gender identity doesn't align with his or her biological sex at birth, is known as gender dysphoria. But this diagnosis, used to refer people to the right health services, is considered offensive to some trans people who don't want to be labelled with a mental illness. From their perspective, it's not that they think they are or want to be another sex, it's just they simply are that sex. Rachel Johnson is a paediatrician and youth health specialist at the Centre for Youth Health in South Auckland. 
So this is our um, one of our clinic rooms. Um, as you see, it's quite a nice space. Um, we've had young people who were involved with picking the artwork for it. Um, it's in the Youth Line building, which is a space for young people, so it's a lot more youth-friendly than being on site at the hospital. I've um, you know, got comfy couches and bean bags. So, um, Her clinic and Papa Toy Toy is part of the county's Monaco District Health Board. We see over 100 young people who identify as being transgender um, or are exploring their gender, um, as I say, from the ages of around 8 through until 24. So that's kind of quite a you know, large age range. Um, only a handful of them would be under 12. The majority are sort of 15 and above. Um, and I guess that's part of the reason for that is that for transgender children, I'm, you know, there is no real sort of medical intervention for children. You know, do doctors are, are not doing anything to transgender children. Um, but really, I'm, it's for some trans children, though, however, there, there is medical support that is required around about the age of puberty. So that is getting earlier. So for some children, that is around about the age of 10. She says when people come to the clinic with their transgender children, one of the most common worries and misconceptions parents have is that their child's too young to be making decisions about sex and sexuality. Your gender identity and sexuality is completely separate. So your gender identity is that deeply felt internal sense of being male or female, but for some people it's something other than that. They might identify as being non-binary. Whereas your sexuality is that... Um, attraction, either romantically or sexually, to another person. So it's, you know, it is completely separate. For children under about 12 and who haven't reached puberty, what's known as socially transitioning is the first step towards living as the sex they feel they are. It might mean wearing different clothes, changing their name or changing their pronoun to him, her, they, to match their preferred identity. Depending on the child and their family, this might be happening only at home, or there might be a process of coming out to the wider public, such as telling school, friends, family, or changing the sex listed on their passport. Choices around medical interventions that could permanently change the body, like hormone therapies, or in some cases surgery, are left to the teenage and adult years. What else have I got in here? I was just out at Macra Beach, which is the kids' new favourite place. That's the three of us heading up to visit um, grandparents, which was probably one of the first times they saw my daughter socially transitioning. There's a dress-up day for school. <laughs> Kate's nine-year-old daughter, Emmy, began her social transition from boy to trans girl just over a year ago after they moved city to Wellington. So I don't think we realised that our child was not happy until they were probably over the age of five, but we did have a, a little boy who was very into expressing himself in a more feminine way, so didn't actually play with the trucks we'd brought, didn't actually <laughs> do the same kind of rough tumble games that other little boys were doing, was more interested in playing dress-up with the girls, um, would go to kindy, strip his clothes off, put on, go straight to the dress-up corner, put on a purple dress and go and do some art. And we didn't have a problem with that, and most people don't really. We knew that our child was probably more of a, a rainbow-type child, if for lack of a better term. So even from, from what sort of age were you thinking? About that? two, three, four, definitely mm -hmm. at four. It wasn't until our child was probably about six and a half when she came home and started saying things like, I'm a Tom girl, 
which was an interesting take on the idea of being a tomboy. We allow little girls to call themselves tomboys, but what do you call a boy who is the opposite of that, you know, or is a reflection of that? So um, she had already come up with this term, I'm a tom girl, and it wasn't until she really expressed to us how she was feeling on the inside that I started researching and found from other parents' experiences that that was the first sign from their kids as well. Like often these kids would say, oh, I'm a tom girl. And I thought, oh, that's quite interesting. So there's other transgender little girls out there who start with that language to kind of express how they're feeling. But while Emmy's distress about having been born in a boy's body started when she was about two, her final decision to walk out of the house one day and go to school as a girl came abruptly. It wasn't until she was actually eight that she specifically said, I'm a girl on the inside, I'm not a boy, please stop calling me a boy. And that was her words at the breakfast table before school one morning. (laughs) So that was a little bit of a shock. I think we were like, oh, this is more than what we initially thought it was. I think in the back of our minds we thought, oh, perhaps we are raising a more gender fluid or perhaps a, a gay child at this stage, but we weren't you know, sexuality doesn't really come into it when they're that young. Mm. Um, but once those words, I'm a girl on the inside, that hit both my husband and I. And we thought, OK, there's something more here that we've missed and um, we need to investigate what this means. <laughs> so what was happening on that day? What started that conversation at the dinner table? I suppose we'd probably... I, I knew something was going on and I wasn't pushing her, but I was asking her, you know are you okay? How are you feeling? You know, what's going on? Because I knew something was up. She was quite angry and I thought perhaps it was, you know, typical kid stuff. We'd moved her to a different city. We'd moved her away from some of her friends. But I think it was more this underlying torment and anxiety about expressing who she really was. So once she came out and said that, so it was, yeah, it was a pretty typical normal day. But of course, as soon as she told me, being typical kid reaction is like, great, I've told you now. So I'm going to go get changed into some of my sister's clothes and let's go to school. And as a parent, you're thinking, um, put the brake on for a second. I've, I, we need to talk this through a little bit. And of course, I, you know, you panic. You think, oh no, 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 no. I've got to talk to the principal. I've got to talk to the teachers. I've got to protect you. You can't go out of the house like that. But how do you explain that to an eight-year-old who's like looking at you with that kind of look in their eyes that says, don't you accept who I am? And this is who I am, mum, and I've just told you. While social transitioning is reversible, it's still a huge and potentially life-changing step and one that many parents of transgender children struggle with. So what if allowing or not allowing them to socially transition harms them? And how would a parent know to take their child's distress about their gender seriously anyway? A study in Paediatrics, the official journal of the American Academy of Paediatrics, describes transgender children as those who persistently, consistently and insistently identify as a gender other than the one they were given at birth. Auckland paediatrician Rachel Johnson says it's normal for children to dress up or play with toys considered typical of another gender. So these signs alone don't mean they're transgender. For some children, however, these feelings are very intense and they persist and there can be distress around this. And for those children, actually supporting them to socially transition can actually mean that it reduces the distress that's there for them. Dr Johnson says the 2015 study found socially transitioning children before a child hits puberty to be fairly safe. It was in 3 to 12 year olds where um, it followed 75 
trans children who had been allowed to socially transition and there was no increase in rates of um, depression and I think slightly higher rates of anxiety. So that's, you know, really positive information. So those are the children who've had good support from their families and been allowed to socially transition. That really differs from some of the youth surveys, again, the youth 2012, where I think the rates of um, depression was around about 40%. Um, there were higher rates of kind of uh, self-harm and um, another you know, significant mental health concerns. But parents do worry it could just be a phase and that allowing their child to live as their preferred gender could be harmful if they later change their mind. Meet Kara, an 18-year-old student who lives in Dunedin. These days, sporting curly blonde pigtails, smoky eye makeup and funky feminine op shop finds, she looks like a young woman and says that's definitely the gender she feels she is. But as a child, she spent a year of her life questioning that. When I was eight or nine in year four in England, I was a bit of a tomboy anyway, and I was definitely ambiguous dressing and stuff like that, and I began to have more of a preference for guys' clothes. I suddenly kind of, and my mum cut my hair like quite short, and, and I really liked it. And I kind of felt like I wanted to be a boy, but not like I was uncomfortable in my own skin. Like, it was just like, I don't know, I want to dress like a boy and I want people to call me Kieran. But I didn't change my pronouns or anything. Despite support from her parents in school, Kieran eventually became uncomfortable with looking like a boy. She covered her boyish haircut with a floral bandana and changed her name back to Kira. I asked her if she felt it had harmed her to live as a boy and then change her mind later. I don't think so at all. I think it's just... And another phase that I went through. So it's just like being a tomboy, except change your name as well. And I don't, and I, it was almost like now when I'm like very much stereotypically feminine, I'm I'm kind of more comfortable in that because I'm like I haven't been this. I know that I haven't been socialised my whole life to be this way. While the study from the American Academy of Pediatrics suggests that social transitioning of children didn't cause harm when they were supported by their families. Other research shows that the road ahead for many transgender children as they become teenagers and then adults will be a difficult one. In 2008, the Human Rights Commission report on the inquiry into discrimination against transgender people found they were afraid to ask for health care and were treated badly at school by teachers and other students. They also found it hard to get and keep a job even if they had all the right skills and experience. In the Auckland University Youth 2012 survey, trans respondents had much poorer mental health than other young people. About 40% of transgender students had significant depressive symptoms and nearly half had self-harmed in the past 12 months. A fifth of transgender students surveyed had tried to kill themselves in the past year. Sitting up on the porch of her home above its long shared driveway in Glen Eden, Rebecca tells me statistics like that and what her child Ben was going through made her determined to understand more about transgender kids. Yeah, he said to me at one point, I'd rather be dead than live as a girl. And that really, really struck home to me. Heck, you know, I need to sort this out. What can I do? And that's when I started doing the Google searches. My little girl thinks he's a boy because I didn't realise, you know, anything about transgender children at that point. 
Her son Ben is a female to male trans boy who socially transitioned when he was six years old. Like a lot of 11-year-olds, he enjoys shooting hoops in his driveway. But unlike many of his friends at Intermediate, he has a lot of decisions to make about the medical side of transitioning to male one day. With puberty just around the corner, Ben's recently made the decision to start taking puberty-blocking hormones. Accompanied by his mother, Rebecca, Ben takes the bus to a clinic where he gets an injection that stops him developing the body of an adult woman. I have to have an injection every three months. And so why did you choose to have the puberty blockers? Because if I want to be myself, there's nothing else I could choose to do. So does that give you a little bit of time and then you can make the full decision about what you want to be as an adult? Yeah, I've already made my decision. No matter what, I'm going to stay who I am. So the next step, I suppose, would be hormone therapy as well, wouldn't it? Um, So that your body can grow as a a man's body. Are you keen to, to do that after puberty blockers? Yeah, definitely. What would it be like for you if you did have to let your body grow into a girl's body? How would you feel about that? I wouldn't feel like myself. It it would make me feel um, sad for because how far I've come. The idea behind puberty blockers is for a trans child, who's already living as their desired gender, to buy time before they can make a well-informed choice about whether to take hormones to shape their future body. While puberty blockers are reversible, there's not yet enough research into the long-term effects they can have on development. Sex change hormones are more permanent. They can be taken from about age 16 to change the body and give it the desired physical characteristics such as breasts, broad shoulders or a feminine or masculine pattern of hair, fat and muscle distribution. But they also make a person infertile while they're taking them. And that can be a heavy choice for an 11-year-old to grapple with. I want to go down the same road, just um, staying a man, and it's already come up into consideration, but I can just adopt. And some people might say, look, he's only a kid or he's only a teenager, how can he decide about whether he wants to have a baby in the future? What do you say to that? Um, it's your own opinion, but it's my body, my brain. I'm able to think for myself. So even at a young age, you feel you can make a decision like that? I've already made bigger decisions. Like what kind of bigger decisions have you made, do you think? Just be who I am. It's it's bigger than any stuff like that. Having children after hormone therapy is not straightforward or always possible. But paediatrician Rachel Johnson says there are some options. For older adolescents, if they've gone far enough into puberty, they can actually have the option to store sperm. But for trans males, actually, it's not thought that testosterone actually impacts on long-term fertility. So there are options to come off the testosterone to then potentially get pregnant in the future if they choose to do that. But, of course, that's a a big decision to do that too. Mm -hmm. Um, What about storing eggs? Can eggs be stored? um, It's not done... Publicly, of course, someone could choose to do that privately, but because it's thought that actually testosterone doesn't impact on fertility for trans males or potentially doesn't, it's not offered. 
For parents, guiding their transgender child through decisions about social transitioning, hormone therapies, bullying and mental health issues can place a huge strain on their child, themselves and the rest of the family. OK, so here we are at Rainbow Youth Headquarters. So come on in. Right. Right, so right here in the front area here is the uh, general sort of sitting area. And we have our meetings over here, and I come in sort of before... Three years ago, Amanda Aaron set up Holding Our Own, a group for parents with LGBTQI children. This acronym covers lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer and intersex people. The idea was to help them deal with the emotional shock and practicalities of parenting their children in a world that struggles to accept them. She says many of the parents feel grief, guilt and enormous anxiety about what lies ahead for their child as a trans adult. Some of the things that, that have come up for me when, when dealing with parents with younger children is a sense that society looks at them and says, what are you doing to pressure this child into that? What on earth can they know about gender? What on earth can they know about sexuality? And in fact, young kids don't know anything about sexuality, but they do know whether they feel like a boy or a girl. You know, I don't think there's a parent in the world who would put upon their children such a difficult life, you know. So it's such a hard thing where parents feel unsupported and um, unheard. We've had parents who have come to the group and then kind of left feeling like they're never going to get through this or they're going to leave it till the kids are a bit older or they'll reconfront it when they need to. But but people, yeah, it's difficult for parents with young kids. It really is a difficult scenario. There's definitely a stigma that attaches to the parents. In Wellington, Kate, the mother of nine-year-old trans girl Emmy, admits she's so nervous about being judged, she shakes every time there's a play date with a new friend, and she has to tell the other parent about her daughter. She worries not only that her child will be rejected, but that the other parents will think it's bad parenting that's caused her child to be trans. Do you really think that I woke up one morning and thought, you know what would make my life so much easier? Today I'll make my little boy a girl. You know, like it's... Of all the things to do as a parent, that is the most difficult thing. It's not going to be easy for my child, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing that people don't understand. We probably look like on the outside that we're, you know, we're 100% on board. We did go through months of really questioning ourselves as parents, grieving for that little boy that we'd lost, grieving for the, fu- the hard, hard future that we know our child's going to have to walk now, you know. Every stage of her life is going to be a challenge and difficult. But she and Auckland mother Rebecca take solace in the fact that some negative perceptions appear to be changing. They say with more and more trans people featuring in the global media and in New Zealand, it's helping to make the idea that gender is not always straightforward more normal. Calm down, I will call security. They're delighted that local soap Shortland Street has, for the past year, had the teenage trans boy Blue Nathan as a regular character. Unfortunately, this is my kid, Blue. And I'm a boy, idiot. Shut up, you. Go to the cafe now. Like his character, the actor Tash Keddie is also female to male transgender. He's glad that, via the soap, he can be part of starting a conversation with Middle New Zealand. I've had contact with a couple of people who have also been really stoked about it. 
and it feels really empowering. I feel really um, lucky to be able to have this opportunity to maybe like make a couple of kids feel represented because it's just such a drought out there for um, gender diverse people. There's just literally no representation and it's so nice to be able to contribute something like that. What part do you think having a trans character in a soap opera plays in educating and fostering acceptance of trans and gender diverse young people? I think probably one of the most important parts of Blue being in Ferndale is the everyday sort of interactions with everyone else because it's all well and good to have a trans character for a couple of weeks and talk about the issues and then they go they go off and do something else but I think just by nature of having Blue in the fabric of their everyday life is really cool because people get to see Blue going to school, Blue having no pocket money, you know like (laughs) really mundane sort of stuff that have nothing to do with gender identity and I think that's like important as well because it for me it doesn't really it doesn't really take over my life it it's pretty small it's a pretty small part of my life and so it's nice to be able to display that accurately. Building acceptance of transgender people and making the whole topic more normal is also the focus of academic and activist Dr Elizabeth Kitty. She's the author of a booklet, Takatapui, Part of the Fano, the world's first Indigenous publication aimed at helping families to support their LGBTQI children. Takatapui is a traditional Māori word, meaning intimate companion of the same sex, but it's been adapted to embrace all Māori with diverse genders and sexualities. She says for some Māori, being takatapui can mean choosing between their gender identity and being Māori. Dr Kirikiri's research has found that pre-colonisation ideas of gender fluidity were present in Māori culture. One of the key kind of precedents in terms of our spiritual world was the use of tipua, and that means a creature who could change gender and form. So I like to think that trans people, our non-binary, gender-diverse uh, and intersex people are modern-day embodiment of tipua. Through that process of colonisation and missionary influence, all evidence of that kind of gender fluidity became something that was made immoral, it was something that wasn't considered normal. And so over time, where that has occurred, I think many of our whānau have tried to protect that or keep it quiet, but then others, certainly there's many parts of Māori society uh, that have issues with, with people who are wanting to change their gender. For me, I think it's an issue of wairua, uh, that who we are as part of our spirituality. Dr Kirikiri says Māori often reject their trans child's gender identity because they can only see a bleak future ahead. And really, really common reaction from parents and from whānau is fear. They're worried about what's going to happen to the young person. And for a young trans person in this country, and even as an adult, that is really well-founded. Uh, there's huge discrimination. When it comes to the role of whānau, it's like, yeah, it's a hard world. There's stuff going on. So it's not useful to say, well, then just don't be that. Don't do that. The role of Fano, and that's something Fano could take great pride in, is strengthening that child to withstand that discrimination, to go out into their world, to stand in their own mana and say, this is who I am. I've got my family behind me. They have got my back. I'm going to be okay. That's what Fano should be doing. 
shortly she'll be releasing another booklet aimed specifically at raising Takatapui children. Her hope is that as more and more trans children decide to live their true gender identity, this knowledge will help build whānau resilience and acceptance and combat the alarming suicide statistics for both Māori and non-Māori transgender people. I'm Teresa Cowie, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this programme, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at InsightRNZ. That programme was written and presented by Teresa Cowie. It was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Mark Chesterman. If you'd like to podcast other Insight programmes, head to iTunes, where you can download, subscribe, rate and review us, or visit the Insight webpage at radionz.co.nz forward slash insight. Great to have you with us, and thanks for listening. Listening.